Praise God. Um, let's take a look now at chapter 2, shall we? And in chapter 2, we begin with uh, John is sending seven letters to seven churches coming straight from the words of Jesus. Now, there's two ways we can look at these churches. They represent, in one way, they represent the history of the church age, which we are a part of. So, and the other way, they represent different types of churches that exist today. So it can be very relevant. And um, we'll take a look at that and see where we fit into this church age. The word in the Greek is ekklesia. It means called out ones for a special purpose. So the church is people, not buildings or places. It's people, amen? And we are called together by God to enjoy fellowship and worship and the word of God. So let's begin with the church of Ephesus. And a little background, it was a beautiful cosmopolitan harbor city right on the coast of Asia Minor. The temple of Artemis was located there. It was at Artemis that people were worshiping false gods, pagan gods. And Diana, the chief goddess, if you will, uh, there was a giant marble statue of her, a very grotesque statue named the god of fertility. Now, anybody else on or anybody talking? <laughs> or are you guys talking? No, but we want to remind everyone to ask questions, put your comments in the comment section on Instagram, on Facebook, and we will answer. We will recognize you. We will recognize you if you just want to say hi too, but um, get your questions ready because we're going to answer them live real time right now. Yes. Oh, today I have my bubbly. Last time I had LaCroix on Sunday, and this one's bubbly, sparkling water. Cheers. Mm. Very bubbly. I'll just put it right there. Um, So Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. If you go with the church history, we're talking about from the time of Pentecost, when the church began, to AD 100. This would be the church of Ephesus. And um, it's a loveless church, kind of sad, you know. And so, uh, you know, it was an apostolic church. It was founded by the apostles. But as time progressed, Duty became an effort without true Christian love and expression. And the passion for Christ was lost. And so Jesus said, you've left your first love. And by the way, guys, that can happen to all of us as believers. We can depart from our first love relationship. And the Lord was really emphatic about telling them to return to their their first love. I want to look at a scripture in regards to this. Jeremiah 2, verses 2 and 13. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, we've talked about him. And I need someone, Casey, maybe to read this one. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me and the fountain of living waters and hewn themselves cistern, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Did you read verse 2, though? Oh, First, because this is the, oh, talking sorry, about the sorry. first love that we have okay, for the Lord. Okay, so go back to Jeremiah 2.2. Two. Two, two. Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal. betrothal, sorry, and when you went after me in wilderness in a land not sworn. Right. So you started out with a passion for the Lord, and then you left that passion and zeal for the Lord, and you turned to hewing out cisterns that can hold no water and these cisterns leaked out and so jesus brings a rebuke but it's a loving rebuke 
that they need to return to their first love. Any comments in, that, in this section on Ephesus, guys, that you read or you studied? Um, I want to hear from you guys. Dad, can I, one thing I noticed um, in the way that Jesus provides feedback or correction, he starts out by um, saying a positive yes, thing. Yes, commendation. Right. Yes, so he, he commends, commends them. them and he recognizes the positive, yes. which I think can be applied in life with our with relationships and people at work. When you, oh, that's a good point. Go, go with this. I, I yep. think, you know, even uh, like as a boss, you can, um, that really encourages people when you recognize the positive positive and then you bring first. about correction. Right. Yep. So you start with something positive. That's um, right. I recognize you're doing this. Um, and then Jesus goes to say, however, I've noticed this and these yes. are the things that um, I need you to correct. So he does it in such a loving way that I think it would be well received. Yeah. Casey, do you do that with the kids? Yeah, I was gonna say we were like taught. I'm a teacher, and um, <clears throat> if you ever you use, are, yeah, all oh, right, cool. <laughs> but they call it a sandwich, so you start with a positive and say something oh. that they need to improve on, and then you end with a positive. With a positive, too. too. I like yeah. that. Very, very good. And remember, Jesus walks in the midst of his churches. So every pastor out there, every church that's a born again Christian church, Jesus walks amongst you. Isn't that cool? And he has an opinion about your church. <laughs> uh, he knows what's going on. And he knows about the people there, and he knows about the preaching there, the behavior there. He knows about everything. Uh, he's aware of all things. But he loves his church. Jesus died for the church, and he loves his church. Dad, we do have a question. Good, good. This is coming from Oliver, all the way from Beautiful. Wales. All right. Beautiful Wales. Um, Don't make it too hard, Oliver. <laughs> I know. He is asking, did the church of Ephesus generate its ministry through the literature of Paul? Well, I, I don't know that positively. Once again, he, he, he stumped me a little bit. But um, Paul came to Ephesus in his third missionary journey. So because he went to Ephesus, I would say yes. Um, and he taught there in Ephesus for two years, which is kind of interesting, preaching and teaching the word of God and establishing the church. And that's what Paul did. He was an apostle, a church foundation layer, and he would move around and establish churches. He also was a man called to move in mighty uh, signs and wonders and miracles. The Bible says in Acts 19, God did unusual miracles through the hands of Paul. Kind of interesting. There's that, the hands of God is the power of God. So this church, Ephesus, we could call it a backsliding church. They had slid back from their original first love relationship. And I'd like you to think about your life tonight and, and ask yourself and pray, where am I with you, Lord? Am I closer than I was last week, last year, last month, whatever? Or am I farther apart? And um, the good news is we can always come back to the Lord in a stronger and deeper and more vital relationship. Ask God to turn the fire on again, amen? And to, to throw the coals on the fire and burn your heart with zeal for the Lord. Jesus said, the zeal of my father's house has eaten me up. And Jesus was very zealous for the things of God and we wanna be zealous for the Lord and in love with the Lord. Jesus said, you shall love, go ahead. Oh, sorry, we have another question, but good. I wanna hear what you're gonna well, say. Well, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God uh, with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So, we're to love God first, and then what are we supposed to do, Marilyn? Love others as ourselves. Love our neighbor as ourselves, amen? That's the call of the Christian commandment. A new commandment I give unto you, Jesus said, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's the only commandment we have in the New Testament, really, is to love one another, amen? And to walk by faith and not by sight. Okay, 
Any other comments now on this Church of Ephesus? There's got to be a few things. We do um, have one more comment. Yeah. This is coming from Christy Huffman, who is our... Oh, <laughs> our moderator. Our, our podcast moderator, uh, who is not on film, but she has a great point here. She said, I think marriage and the family needs to come back to their first love. Amen. That's true. You know, uh, a lot of marriages are hurting because they left their first love, you know, um, for better or worse. You know, I love you in sickness and health and so forth. You made your vows... And God took your vow seriously, but it was based on love. And so we need to continue as, as, as people that are married, Meryl and I coming up on 39 years on June 26th, uh, to stay deeply in love. And we are, and it's great. And families to, to dwell in love, amen? And not let this stress of this COVID-19 virus uh, bring, you know, disparity and division. Uh, we have to stay together in Christian love, amen, and unity. Um, Jesus said that he would remove his presence from, the, from this church if they didn't repent, if they didn't change. And remember, I told you, repentance is simply change of, change of mind, change of heart. Some people think it's got to be something where you roll around in hot coals. and Yeah, it's just I'm making a change in my heart, and I'm going to go in a different direction and I'm gonna fall deeply in love with the Lord again. And you guys know the story. I was on the beach in 1998, 98, 88, sorry. That's a long time ago. And uh, I was teaching at a high school, and it was summer, and we were off, and Mary and I were at the beach, and we're just sitting there enjoying the beach. And she said, uh, the Lord, I think, has got a word for you, Scott. And I'm like, okay, throw her out. And um, she said, well, I, I, I feel like maybe you've kind of turned your face a little bit away from Jesus, you've always had a face-to-face relationship, and you've turned just a little bit. And I knew this was true. It hit me like a ball-peen hammer over the head, and the tears began to fall, and I had realized that, yeah, I didn't have the same relationship uh, that I'd had before. And you say, okay, Scott, you, you got, got it right, and everything was great. Well, not really. Uh, it took a very serious trial in my life, which the Lord used to turn me back to him. And ever since that trial, I've remained face-to-face with Jesus, and that's the way I'm gonna stay, amen? So we know that there's all kinds of things from the pressure of the world, from the flesh, the devil, that tries to move you away from that love relationship. But it's all based on the love relationship with Jesus. And Jesus said you need to repent, you need to change. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was stolen uh, from the Israelites. And remember, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God and the glory of God. And the Philistines took the ark, stole the ark from the Israelites. And there was a baby born. uh, And this baby was called Ichabod. The woman that bore the baby said, call the baby Ichabod because the glory has departed. And so if God judges a church uh, and, and removes that glory from the church, then it will no longer have the anointing and presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So we don't want that to happen, right? (laughs) And Jesus doesn't want it to happen. But we need to take heed to the words of the Lord. So I got it back together. You can get it back together and get closer to the Lord. And even now I feel like a stronger drawing of the Holy Spirit to get closer and closer and more in love with Jesus. Praise God. Any other comments or questions? Now there was a question we talked, look at verse six. Who's got that? Yeah, could you read that? Because this is an interesting topic here. 
Verse 6. Yes, this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, Nicolaitans which I also hate. Now, this is interesting because Jesus says he hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And we were having a discussion prior to this broadcast coming on, and we were trying to figure out what are the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And there's, there's nobody knows for sure. Uh, there's different, way, uh, different interpretations. Uh, the one you read said what, Marilyn? Said that it was a Christian sect that had loose morals. Right, okay. They were abusing our Christian freedom. And they were following a man named Nicholas. So Nicholas, yeah. yeah. Uh, then, but I, I looked at it a little bit more. Kelly, you, you have that in there? I, you can tell about it. You want to talk about it? Yeah, okay. Um, in the Passion Translation Bible, it, it has um, a lot of commentary, and they pull out notes while, they're, uh, while they were writing this translation um and so they say that uh do you say nicolaitans or nicolaitans 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 um the the meaning of the name is to rule and conquer over people so many saw, uh, saw this as a beginning of a movement of every believer being from a priest which were priests and priestesses in the lord to a, cl- a special class of clergy who ruled over the church so more of like a man-made system and they said this was a case to be made that the um in aramaic the word translated to the per- performing of rituals or religion um and then they said the verse could actually read you despise the performing of rituals which i also despise so we could say this is a form of being religious yeah. and uh, lighthouse no religion just life and you can see why we oppose man-made religion because it dominates over people and 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 is forcible over them and can be brutal over them one of my things says um, they're teaching perverted grace and replace liberty with license. Yeah, okay. So you have different opinions on this. I'd like to look at First Peter 5, if we could. Someone. Okay. And then while we do that, um, the Escudero family coming from Orange County, um, they were asking the same question. So they said, we were unsure who those people were. So hopefully, uh, Gabby and Javier, that helped answer. And the boys, if you guys are reading too. Um, But, uh, and I love what Christy says here. She says, religion is bondage. Dad, what do you think? Who said that? that? Christy. Yes, that's right. It is bondage. I'd like you to read 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3. Um, Anyone? First Peter 5, 2 and 3. Yes. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those who entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. Right. So as pastors, guys, you pastors out there listening, we're not to lord over the flock. I've been in churches where the, the pastors lorded over, and they were pr- kind of brutal with the flock. And uh, that upsets the Lord. He doesn't, we are to be under shepherds. We are to be under the people, lifting them up as pastors, right? And so this could have been some of what was going on and made the clergy look in a higher place, you know? And it's that kind of self-righteousness that gets cast down towards the people underneath. And I can see why the Lord hates that. But remember, if, if God hates something, it's a righteous yeah. hatred, right? It's, it's not based on anything wrong. It's right. Um, but but God was really saying, this is something I really despise. And yet the people were involved in it. All right. Verse seven, can someone read there, verse seven, chapter two? Okay, seven or two seven. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give 
to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Okay, so he, Jesus always brought a, a promise or a blessing. And here's this one here. And I, I love this. And you know, we need to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Because the Holy Spirit is speaking to the churches. He's speaking to our church and every other church that exists today. And he's trying to wake up the church, I believe, and bring the church out of a stupor a little bit and bring them back more into a spiritual dimension uh, where we can really experience the blessing and power and uh, might of God. Um, The tree of life was in the Garden of Eden, if you remember, if you read in Genesis. And the tree of life had a flaming sword going around it. And why did it have a flaming sword going around it? Yeah, so no so one, no one could, could partake of that tree of enter. life, right? Yeah. It, because the tree of life represented what? Or was? Eternal life. Eternal life, right. And uh, if you could get a hold of that tree of life. You would live forever. Yeah, you'd live forever. And if you were in a sinful state, you'd live forever in a sinful state. Interesting. Um, there are people that are not going to be with the Lord. I hate to say it. And they are going to live forever but in a sinful state apart from the Lord in a place that they don't want to be, trust me. And so, uh, very interesting. And then there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Tell me about that one. Well, that mom knows too. Um, That goes back to Adam and Eve. So um, that was... Um, the one forbidden tree and fruit. God said what? That God said, do not. Do not eat partake of the tree. It. You can eat of everything else, just not that because it has the knowledge of good and evil. Yes. And of course, Eve was tricked by the devil, right. deceived by the devil. And he said, if you partake of this fruit, you'll be like God and your eyes will be open. And she believed it, went for the bait, took of the fruit and fell into sin as God said would happen. And then Adam did likewise, willingly. He just took of the fruit for whatever reason, I don't know, but he did it. And so that's how we ended up in sin. And that's also how the devil took over the authority of the earth at that point in time. Now, Jesus redeemed it back to us through the church. And the authority and power has been given unto me, says Jesus. And go into all the world and preach the gospel. I have the keys of hells, hell and Hades. And so the Lord took the keys back from the devil down in Hades, and uh, uh, took, the, uh, took the captives captive and took them back up into uh, heaven. Praise God. We have the victory in Christ. Hallelujah. Dad, we have a comment. Yes. Um, again, from Oliver in the UK. He says, he who has an ear, that means the Lord's message is to everyone. He said, let the world hear that voice. That's right. Amen. And that's what we're seeing happening. I think more and more people are beginning to hear, hear the voice of the Spirit, the call of God in their life. They're beginning to realize that life, just living from a material point of view and, uh, and, and just, you know, working and making money and getting notoriety or whatever your reasons are, are empty. They're useless. And the spiritual part of you is the most important part of you. And we need to turn to the Lord and become more spiritual in our lives. And as we do that, then God blesses the rest of our life. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and the rest will be added unto you. So God doesn't want to keep you poor and, and you know, not feeling good about yourself and productive, but first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Praise God. All right. Keep those comments or questions coming. We love it. Let's move on to the next church. What's the next church? Smyrna. Smyrna. I like that. <laughs> this is the persecuted church. And um, it was the third largest city 
in Asia Minor. And it, was the, it represented the second and third century, which is kind of interesting. And there was terrible persecution and suffering going on. The Bible says all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So when you live a, a godly life, you're gonna be persecuted. Paul said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And so we do enter into the sufferings of Christ. And so when you live a, a, a life fully pleasing to the Lord, you're gonna experience um, persecution and you shouldn't be surprised by that. I believe it was John Wesley who said, you know, he, he got persecuted every day. Somebody always said something negative or did something to him because of his Christian faith and preaching. And one day he went through a whole day sitting on his horse, said, oh my gosh, I, nobody, nothing happened. No, I wasn't persecuted today. About that time, some guy stood up a, a, behind a bush and threw a rock at him and hit him. And he said, thank you, Lord. But, you know, uh, don't be surprised, Peter said, by the fiery trials that come upon you because we're believers. You're stirring things up and the devil doesn't like you. And so you're gonna be persecuted. We want people to... We want to have favor with people, but not everybody's going to love us, right, or like us. And I just, I just have a comment about that. Like, I mean, in America, where we think, oh, persecution is, you know, like somebody not liking us or making, uh, making it hard for us at work or something. But I can't imagine how it would be in other countries where you're killed for right. professing the Lord. Your you life know? is on the line. Exactly. So I feel like this is kind of Smyrna. It sounded like a lot of people were expected to go through that kind of a persecution. Do you think? Yeah, I think so. The persecution was coming from the Roman government and uh, the Caesars were persecuting Christians and there were the lions and the racks that they were put in and then crucifixions. And the Romans were trying to squelch Christianity because they knew the power and influence it was having. But who was really trying to squelch it? Satan himself, the enemy. And so the persecution came upon this church. And like Marilyn said, we in America, we really haven't experienced that much persecution. But in other countries of the world, they've suffered greatly yeah. for their faith in Christ. And who knows what's coming down the line. Yeah. But um, we should pray for those that are really suffering, that the church in different places of the world is truly suffering tremendously. Dad, can I say one thing I yes. just noticed? Um, so when Jesus addresses the churches, he uh, describes himself, or there's a description. Yes. And um, for, in particular, the one in Smyrna, um, an example of this, and it, the description matches, kind of, it fits the church. So whether it's um, some sort of kind of correction or about the characteristic of the church, he shares that piece of who he is. And in this one, um, he says to Smyrna, um, I'm the first and the last, the one who was dead and came back to life, which if they're the persecuted church, they're being killed for their faith. I think yep. it's encouragement that um, they'll be resurrected again with Christ. Yeah, there's the, the many facets of the Lord and his nature and his presence and uh, the manifold presence of the Lord. And so there's so many descriptions that can be made about the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? And so we get a different description in each church, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. The first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, they were poor in material goods, but rich spiritually, Jesus said. And he told them to, to persevere under tribulation and to continue on. And don't fear the trials that God allows you to suffer. Um, when you enter into these temptations, I'd like to look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Uh, we can know that God promises to deliver us out of those temptations. 
he's faithful. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him or her out of them all. So Marilyn or maybe Casey, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Before we do that, we have a couple. Um, sure, things. love it. Okay, so Christy um, is asking in verse 10 where it says they'll be persecuted 10 days. Um, is there any meaning to that 10 days? Do you think? Yeah, that's an interesting verse. Um, I can't really answer that fully. I don't know exactly. Um, but uh, it has some significance, obviously. I don't believe it was 10 days, liter- literal 10 days. Um, but there's obviously a reason for that. And um, I, the, the commentators were not all confident exactly of what that meant for sure. Remember, we don't understand everything about this book. And people have different opinions about it. I prefer to say, I don't know, <laughs> than to try to go out there and say something that uh, may not be correct. But there's always different interpretations. Read the different Bible scholars and see what they have to say. Uh, but th- that's a tough one. But I, uh, but I personally don't believe it was a literal 10 days. But it's possible. It's possible. One more comment. Um, this is coming from Stephanie in Orange County, California. And she says, thank you, Scott and Marilyn, for always being the pillars of strength and role models leading all of us, all of us continually to him. You are the light of Lighthouse. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Appreciate that. That was very sweet. Well, uh, did you get to, yeah, who's got it? No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. Yeah, and sometimes when we think of the word temptation, we're thinking the temptation to sin, which is a form of temptation. But the other side of that temptation is trials and sufferings and difficulties. And God is, is going to be faithful to deliver you out of those trials and difficulties. Praise God. And he would, that's what Jesus was encouraging the church. Um, verse 11, Casey. Good memorize this one. Two. We're still in chapter 2, yeah. Okay. Um, chapter 2, verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Amen. So first death would be your physical body and the second death would be uh, either being in the presence of the Lord or being separated from the Lord for eternity. So the Lord, it says, overcome. I love that. First John 5, 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory, our faith. Amen, faith overcomes. And the Lord Jesus was an overcomer and he's calling the church to be overcomers. And I believe the glorious church is rising up in this move of God that's coming this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be great and mighty overcomers. Amen? And nothing can defeat us. Hallelujah. All right. Let's move on to the next church. What is it? Anybody? Dad, sorry, I just noticed. Yes. Christy, in our Passion Translation, there was something about the 10. I don't want to oh, get good. stuck no, on that. Oh, good. No, let's bring it up. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. It says, it is recorded that a tremendous persecution took place in Smyrna that eventually resulted in the death of um, one of the church's leading fathers uh, who was described as a disciple of John. Some view the 10 days as 10 time periods representing 10 waves of um, identifiable persecutions under 10 Roman governors. Oh, that's great. See, so I don't think it was 10 days literal. And remember we said, if the Bible defines, in the book of Revelation, if it defines what that symbol is or what that idea is, then you know for sure what it is. But if it doesn't define it, then you, it's a little ambiguous and you, 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 you can research and study. And that, that sounds pretty good to me. I like that idea. 
But you can't be emphatic because the Bible isn't really explaining it. Jesus really didn't explain exactly what that was. Okay, we're going to the next church. Pergamos. I believe we're in verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, these things he's he who has the sharp two-edged sword. And I'd like you to read um, Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is so powerful. And, you know, my whole life and experience has been uh, meditating and studying and receiving the word of God and speaking the word of God and how effective it is when you meditate the word of God and speak it. It gets birth into your spirit, becomes an incarnation, it becomes a reality. And then as you begin to speak that word, things happen. And uh, the Lord was showing me last night, I got a thing on prayer. And prayer is conquest. Prayer is seizing and taking the land. Prayer is possessing our possessions. And so there's power in prayer. And it, it's not just something we just speak nice, lofty words to God, but we're taking conquest over the works of the enemy, right? And we're speaking to lives that need to come to Christ and be changed and born again and healed, delivered. And by the way, one thing I want to mention before we go on is in this move of God, I've talked about healings and signs and miracles and deliverances that will come. The one thing I haven't mentioned too much, people are going to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, you can be a Christian still not filled. So uh, there are going to be masses of people filled of, with the Holy Spirit all at once. And where, why, do we, why do we need to be filled? Because that's where the power is. Jesus said you should receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the planet. All right, praise God. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Right. <clears throat> so the word of God is two-edged, and it brings power and strength and vitality and life and healing. But on the other side of that, it also discerns the thoughts and intents of our heart, right? And so sometimes the word of God, ouch, ooh, it got me on that one. Um, it's, it, it's, it's not there to judge you, it's to correct you and to reveal to you. Oh, by the way, what is the, the, the book, the word revelation? The Greek word is apocalypsis. What does that mean? To what? To unveil or to reveal that which was hidden. Amen. And the word of God does that. It reveals the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Any comments or questions or? In my Bible it says, I'm sorry, um, he who has, or the one who has the sharp edge of sword. So that's Jesus. That's Jesus. So the word of God is Jesus. Yes, amen. So. Um, and the sword of the spirit is the word of God. It's our only offensive weapon we have as believers. Yeah. And uh, we need to yield that sword, amen. And I believe in our church we're using that sword to touch a lot of lives. Oh, I was just gonna say, because I'm a visual person, like, did Jesus, it's two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Yeah. So like how, it just sounds weird. Like wouldn't it hurt him? It's just, it's the symbol, right? Like it's. I suppose. I, I don't know if he has a literal sword coming out, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, that'd be scary. Um, I look at it as his words, whatever comes out of his. So powerful, speaks. right, yeah. right. Yeah. The sound of uh, waters. many waters, yeah. mighty uh, waterfall or a huge wave crashing upon the sand. That's the sound of the Lord. 
as he speaks, the earth trembles. Or a still, quiet voice. <laughs> now, Pergamus was a wealthy, but they were a wicked city. And um, in this church, which existed between 312 and 590 A.D., in the year of our Lord, A.D., uh, it was the compromising church. Um, it was also a worldly church. And it was also the capital city of Asia Minor. It's kind of interesting. And there was a university there. But here's the kind of the chilling thing. The Lord said the throne of Satan dwells there. Um, so Satan was very strong, obviously. He was seated in that, in that city. And uh, that's, thus they were uh, compromising and they were very worldly. They were being tested by and tempted by the devil and his power. There was a place, it was a place of much wickedness. You know, Lot lived in a land uh, that was very wicked. Sodom, Gomorrah, and uh, Sodom was a city. And here was a righteous man, Lot, with his family living in a wicked uh, city. And uh, the Lord delivered him out of that wicked city because he was being oppressed by the evil there. And when you're in a city that's evil or a place that's evil, you come under oppression, and um, especially when you're a believer. And so God delivered Lot and his family out of the Sodom. Of course, uh, they, he told them, don't look back, and uh, Lot's wife looked back, and she became what? Pillar, Pillar of salt, yeah. So um, we don't want to look back. You know, we want to keep moving forward. And um, this was a tough church because it, there were good things going on in this church, I will say that, uh, but Satan was dwelling there. And some of us are closer to Satan than others, you know, and they were very near. Obviously, he'd made his throne there. And uh, for some reason, who knows why those things happen? So, you got a question? Yeah, we had an, another comment. Christy uh, was saying that it's interesting that uh, the Nicolaitans, um, Nicola Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans are mentioned again. So yes, there they, they are again. We're here they are again. Them. So it was something really bad, yeah. horrific, that the Lord really didn't like. Yeah. And it's interesting that you're saying that um, the enemy or Satan was dwelling there and it was a worldly compromising yeah. system. So right. that just tells you when you're in a place of being um, really captured by the world, that's um, there's a lot of evil there. Right. And sometimes there's evil in a place you don't think there is, and there is, right? Now, there was a man that was martyred. His name was Antipas during this era. And he wouldn't bow down to a statue of Caesar. And so tradition says they roasted him inside a brass bull for his faith. My gosh, can you imagine that? The torture that would bring? The question is, can we stand up for the Lord in front of our friends uh, at school, at work, at home, in our neighborhoods, and not be ashamed of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of, of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. I told you a story one time. I was, uh, I was probably in high school, maybe college, and I was down at the beach, and this street preacher guy stood up and started preaching, and he, he was Christian, you know. Praise God for street preachers, you know. They're just preaching the gospel, uh, not asking for money or anything. And all of a sudden he said, okay, so if you're a Christian out there, I want you to stand up. And I thought, oh, here we go. So I stood up because I thought I'm not going to stay seated, you know, and there weren't that many of us standing. You know, I'm sure people laughed or chuckled and look at these people, you know. I remember in high school when the Jesus movement was happening, we'd meet out 
in the courtyard of our high school, the quad, <clears throat> and there we'd sing worship songs and have a Bible study, and people would walk by and laugh, and eh, you know. And people knew I was an athlete, but I was meeting out there with the Christians, but I didn't want to be ashamed. I wanted to receive the word. And God watches that. You know, when your faith goes public, it, it makes a big difference. You know, secret agent Christians don't work too well, right, in the eyes of God. If you confess me before my Father who's in heaven, I'll confess you before men. So we need to confess ourselves before men and our Father in heaven. Praise God. Any other comments on this chapter as we move through it? I mean, this, this church. Okay, we have one from um, Oliver in Wales. All right. Across the pond, um, staying up late for school ministry. Hi, Oliver. He says, can you please shed any light on the significance of the new name Jesus will bestow on those who overcome, as mentioned in verse 17? Is this promise mentioned anywhere else by Jesus prior to this revelation? Um, I, I'm not positive on that one. But I do know that we are going to receive a new name. Um, and the name that you receive, the new name you receive in heaven, will, will, will define who you were here. Like David, a man after God's own heart, right? Uh, Samuel, the blessed of the Lord. Abraham, a friend of God. And, and the list goes on. And so what you do here will reflect who you are there and, and, and what is said about you and who, what name you reflect, right? Um, I believe there's another scripture, Oliver, that we're gonna get to later about God would write it in our foreheads. So the name might already be written in your forehead right now, and um, you don't even know what it is, but you know, sometimes I've prayed and I felt like God showed me what my name was, but I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> um, but, but we are gonna get a new name, for sure. My Amen. Bible has a commentary about yes. the white stone. Um, it says, when an athlete won in the games, he was often given as a part of his prize a white stone, which was an admission pass to the winner's celebration afterwards. This may picture the moment when the overcomer will receive his ticket to the eternal victory celebration Hallelujah. in heaven. Praise God. What verse is that? Um, 17. 17. Okay, yeah. Now, Verse 14, this is kind of interesting. We're, we're going to run out of time here, I think, but, um, uh, but I want to cover this a little bit. Um, somebody read that, verse 14, chapter 2, and then I'm going to have Marilyn take us back to Numbers 22. We're going to talk about Balaam and Balak. Okay. Um, Revelation 2, and we're in verse 14. But I have a few things against you because... You have those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Now this is an interesting, let's go to Numbers 22 and 23 chapters. Um, Balaam's an interesting figure in the Bible because in my mind that he's really not a true believer, but he was a prophet. And God used him, gave him a prophetic word, and used him as a prophet, but um, God was not happy with his behavior, as we'll see, we, as we're gonna talk about it a little bit. We, we were talking about this earlier. Um, do you wanna talk a little bit about Balaam? And Okay, so get to 22, we'll get over there. Yeah. Well, first, um, Balaam, Bala, um, what was his name, Balak? 
Balak called he Balaam. He was the king of Moab. Yeah, to come and give him a word. And the Lord said, okay, then go. But God was angry because he was going. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. Now he but, was... But, excuse me, let me interrupt for a minute. So the king of, of Balak, the king Balak of Moab, he was fearing the Jews, the Jewish people, the children of Israel. And so he wanted Balaam, this prophet, to go and bring a curse upon Israel, right? Speak a curse over right. them. And, you know, in those days, prophets could speak blessing or cursing. Um, and, you know, when Samuel would come into town, people would be like, ooh. You know, <laughs> when he came to Bethlehem to anoint David, they were, they were afraid that he was going to bring a curse. But he said, no, no, no. I'm here to do a good thing. I'm here to anoint the next king of Israel and bring a blessing. So this was Balaam's mis- mission, right? right? To curse Israel. So he's on his way to Balak to go curse Israel? Yeah, yeah. No, he's on his way to curse the children curse of Israel. Israel. Yeah. Okay. So as he was riding his donkey, his, and he had two servants with him, then the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned off from the way and went into the field. But Balaam struck the donkey and told her to turn into the way. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path of the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself into the wall, pressed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn. The angel of the Lord, is this is one term, probably referring to Jesus Christ. He's not an angel, but sometimes he had the term angel of the Lord. And so here we see the Lord Jesus standing in the way with his sword drawn. You remember in the book of Joshua, when Joshua, before they were going to the land of Israel, or the land of Canaan, he saw the, uh, the Lord, saw this man with a the, with the sword drawn, and he said, Joshua said, are you for us or against us? He said, neither. I am the commander of the Lord's <laughs> army. And he said, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Yeah. Praise God, just like with Moses. Like Moses. Yeah. So here we see the warrior spirit in God. Go ahead. Continue. So, um, By the way, what verse are you in? 26. 26. Chapter 22, right? So he stopped them in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and he struck the donkey with his stick. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have made a mockery of me. If there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. Now what's funny about this is he's having a conversation with a donkey and he doesn't it. even really, it's no big deal. Just talking to a donkey, donkey talking to me. He must have been really he was, mad. He, he was really mad, mad. <laughs> very mad, you know. And um, there's something about being struck three times and I'm praying about what that means, but there's something prophetic in that, yeah. the three strikes. Um, but go ahead. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do so to do so to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed all the way to the ground. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why and have and you... Went and fell flat on his on face. His face yeah. There's that falling before the Lord. Just like John fell flat like a dead man in the first chapter, right? 
And then the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out as an adversary, because your way was contrary to me. But the donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, I would surely have killed you just now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, but I have not, for I did not know that you were standing in the way against me. Now then, if it's di- if it is displeasing to you, I will turn back. Keep going. So no, we'll, we'll stop there. So, um, but the unfortunate thing is, uh, Balaam went on to do a, to uh, move against the the ways of the Lord, and but he tried to curse the children of Israel, but you can't curse what God has blessed. Amen. And it, the king, Balak, was so angry, but Balaam said, I, I can't curse him. Right. Guys, we can't be cursed. We're blessed. And if you're blessed, we can't be cursed, right? And so he was trying to do something that was impossible. And it was, it was not pleasing of the Lord. But the way of Balaam, it was a way of sexual immorality, fornication. Um, and, and uh, you know, we see that prevalent in the world today, very present. And so it was not uh, pleasing unto the Lord. We're back now into Revelation in uh, verse 14. And we're gonna close here pretty quick. Um, And there we go, verse 15. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. And we kind of discussed that and tried to figure out kind of what that meant. Repent or else I'll come to you very quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. (laughs) The sword of my mouth, there it is again, right. He is he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him over, overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and the stone of a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Praise God. Um, the manna that came down from heaven was this coriander honey wafer that came down and fed and nourished the people. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth in the mouth of God. And so this manna is really the living Christ uh, expressing himself to us. And so we are to receive of the manna, the word of God that comes down from heaven above. Praise God. All right, we're gonna move on uh, to, um, oh, by the way, the manna also represents the blessings and benefits that we have in the Lord that we live an abundant and rich, joy-filled life. Praise God. All right, last church, guys. Five minutes, okay. So we're coming to the final church in this chapter. Thyatira, say that 10 times. Thyatira. Um, It's a tough one to say. Um, Thyatira is the um, permissive and corrupt church that tolerated sin. This was the time of the Dark Ages from 606 A.D. to 1520 A.D., now, there's a woman mentioned, there's a woman that came from um, Thyatira, and was, her name was Lydia, and she was a seller of purple garments, and Paul converted her to the Lord in Acts 16, which is kind of an interesting uh, story of, of her coming to Christ. Um, but it's mentioned that she came from Thyatira, uh, which is kind of cool. Any ideas about Thyatira? It was... Uh, it was a, an era that was very dark for the church, church age. And so um, 
people became, they were, they'd turned away from the Lord, really. And it was a dark time. And there were occultic practices that had entered the church. Horoscopes and witchcraft and Ouija boards and fortune telling. And they were involved in wicked practices that were an abomination to God. And you can't mix the occult guys with Christianity. They don't mix. Like oil and water don't mix. And there are some Christian people that want to embrace some of these new age teachings that are occultic and uh, embrace both thinking you can blend the two together and you can't. Sometimes they're really subtle. Yeah, they are. And and it can creep into the church or creep into people's lives. And in the Old Testament, it was an abomination to fool around with the occult Mm -hmm. or anything like horoscopes and and mediums and, and, uh, you know, consulting the dead and so forth. Um, So, but this, this had entered into the church and uh, there was a form of spiritual adultery that was going on. False religion leading people astray from the truth. And so, uh, there were good works that were no works. Dead works is what they were. So um, now it, uh, it was time to turn to Christ and turn away from their sin. And the Bible says in verse 22, someone read that, and we're going to close here real quick. Um, and this is talking about Jezebel, who, by the way, um, was the most wicked woman in the Bible, right? Yes. So um, she represents a spirit of wickedness. And um, and that indeed I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation and unless they repent of their deeds. Yes. So um, Jezebel, the wickedest person in the Bible, there, there was, it was this woman who, who he's make, Jesus is making reference to obviously wasn't Jezebel and maybe she didn't even have that name, but was bringing a false religion to the people and bringing them into a, a place of sin and immorality. And so there was a great warning that those who would commit those deeds would enter into great tribulation. Now, I don't think this refers to the great tribulation that's going to come, as we're going to see in the book of Revelation. But it was very important that they repented from that because the Lord was going to deal very severely with her. So I'm sure she was not a believer. Verse 25, but hold fast what you have, have till I come. And here we go again. He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Power to rule over the nations. Praise God. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed into pieces like the potter's vessels. As I also receive from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. And Jesus is always referred to as the morning star. I'll give myself to them. He that has an ear, let him hear what the the Spirit has to say to the churches. Well, guys, we're, we're finished. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. And this is not always an easy book, but a great book. There's a lot of stuff here to, to learn and to you know, move through. Yeah. But praise the Lord, we're so glad you've been on the broadcast. Anybody else have any parting words before we exit stage left? Well, there's a little delay on the Facebook okay. Live, so we'll give them a second. But... Um but I do like how after each church at the end, it says, he who overcomes. Overcomes. And so it's a promise, like, you know. And I always preach on victory and overcoming and faith. And that's really the key in our Christian walk is that we are overcomers over sin and over the world and over the devil and over the obstacles of life. And you and I can be overcomers in Christ. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, we love you. We bless you. We thank you for being part of the broadcast and School of Ministry. We'll be picking it up again in a couple weeks, and uh, we're going to shoot for chapters three and four. <laughs>